The ethos and heart of my next book is that just about nothing is what it is. Instead, as the title of the book would have it, it is what you make of it. And I realize that shifting from it is what it is to it is what you make of it, it's a long process and can be a bit daunting. More so when the is we have to work with, our circumstances and opportunities, is really sideways or even broken. When things go wrong or the unexpected takes over, it can feel like the most natural thing to do is to navigate to, grab hold of, and cling to something solid and sure. What if, on the other hand, on occasion at least, I read the lack of solid ground or the absence of a sure thing as an invitation into adventure? That's what I find inspiring and informative about Laura Joyce Davis and her work, that while I don't blame a soul for looking for sure things and more solid ground during the COVID era, she and her family took this as an opportunity to dive headlong into the unknown and see what they can make of the pieces they found there. She is a writer and she is the host of the Shelter in Place podcast. She is also my guest on this episode of the At Sea podcast. Check it out. Um, so where are you talking to me from right now? I am in our new little apartment where, uh, I can't remember, I don't think this was set up when we talked last, but um, we are now relocated in the seminary, like married student housing, I think is where we are, oh, wow. at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, So, oh. which is where Nate's dad works. And Nate is your husband. Nate is my husband, yes. And normally this would not be an option, but oh. because of COVID, they have all these empty apartments. That's and so it's very uh, lucky for us, I guess. Wait, wait, <laughs> who's actually wait, in an it's open Nate's, apartment? Nate's dad works there? Yeah, he's a, he's a professor here. So you're kind of living with your parents. I'm just pointing it out. I mean, it's not, well, there's no shame. His, his we all go, we all have to go back at some times. I mean, okay. I, I mean, his dad doesn't live here. I know. He just I'm works just, here. I'm giving you <laughs> We don't actually see him. <laughs> not during the day anyway. That's really <laughs> Doing cool. a lot of dinners at their house. <laughs> um, let's retrace that because you're not from there. You're actually from out here. You're from, you're, yeah. you're kind of from Oakland-ish, um, which is in a sense, I mean, we talked before, like you're, you're from Oakland, you kind of still feel like Oakland is home, but you're where you are yeah. now, there's sort of this travel thing. Can you talk a little bit like, how do you end up where you are right now, geographically? Um, talk about like the, sort of the impetus for the trip and uh, yeah, let's just start there and then I'll, I'll kind of, I'll, I'll go backwards from there. Like, how do you end up where you are right now, geographically, physically, like how'd you get there? Yes, that's the question, right? Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, um, I think the first thing I should say is we've been in Oakland for 16 years. So we have a house there that's very much home. Um, my husband's from the Boston area and I'm from Minneapolis originally, but we've been in Oakland in a long time. And we had no plans of leaving Oakland really at all. I mean, even, you know, for years, our families would always say, like, when are you going to, you know, move back to family? And we would always just say, well, we're not. Oakland is home. You know, we feel like it really suits us. Um, we have an amazing community there that we're missing very much right now. But with the pandemic, of course, a lot of that community kind of fell away. It didn't disappear, but, hmm. you know, either went online or 
as I think most of us have experienced, there were just a lot fewer relationships that were in our life on a daily basis and especially our support structures. Yeah. So we kind of were, you know, we were hanging in there uh, for the first, I would say, six months of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And um, I think probably the other thing to mention about that is that very early on, my husband lost his job. Hmm. And, you know, was one of many people who got laid off like two weeks into the into shelter in place, I think. Yeah. And that happened to coincide with me starting this podcast, which is called Shelter in Place. Yeah. And I thought that, you know, the idea for the podcast came to me March 16th. March 17th was episode one. And I thought, this will be great. I'll do a daily podcast uh, six days a week. This will just be like my own little project. I'll do it for three weeks. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a writer by trade, so it was a great little writing project for me to do. Maybe some people would hear it, maybe they wouldn't, but you know, this would be a great way for me to mark this moment in history for myself. Yeah. And of course, uh, that three week project turned into four months later, a hundred episodes later, yep. um, a full blown job. And in that time, my husband had lost his job. Um, at some point he really, we kind of realized the podcast was gaining momentum and it felt like, wait, this isn't just a creative project, but it's actually um, because it's kind of got a, a very memoir heart to it. I mean, there's a mm -hmm. lot else I can say about it, but mm -hmm. there, my story is kind of baked into it. And because of that, we were sort of rewriting our life as I was writing these episodes yeah. and it was, you know, it was daily. So it was happening in real time. And so at some point, my husband, um, you know, was not finding another job quickly and decided, you know, he really believed in this work. And so he was going to come work on it with me. And um, so we are, you know, fast forward to August. We'd been doing this work together for a few months at that point. And distance, I should mention very important detail here. We have three small children. Yes. So our kids are eight, six, and three. So it's no small uh, thing to be to be deciding in light no. of anything, we're gonna reinvent. Exactly. It's. I mean, I think there would probably be a lot of people who would just say, that's crazy, that's not yeah. wise. It's, Did it feel crazy? Because, uh, I mean, we haven't really gotten to the point where things get totally bananas, but at the point in which- Exactly. But at the point in which, like, it happens, right? Like, people, people lose their jobs. Yeah. That happens. Um, yeah, it does. But you, but like you did something different with it. So he had lost his job, was looking for something. You had started this project. That happens too. We start side, yeah, side hustles, interests. It happens all the time. Yeah. I, but you I did something never else. Started. <laughs> and I should say, I never, ever would have started that project if COVID-19 had not happened. I mean, if you had told me, oh, you're going to do a daily podcast and you'll do a hundred episodes in a row, you know, not even five days a week, six days a week, I would have just been like, no, I'm never, that sounds terrible. I will never do anything like that. So it very much was a project of the moment. And, um, but, but to answer your question, I think, you know, it was crazy and we knew it was crazy, but at the same time, I think going into the pandemic, even before Nate lost his job, we were kind of at that place that I think, uh, I, at least a lot of families in the Bay Area, I see this happen too, and I suspect probably families all over. And that is, even before COVID-19, life just felt barely sustainable. Hmm. 
And, you know, we were not even the people who had the packed schedule all the time. And yet with three small kids and, you know, a pretty intense, wonderful community in our neighborhood and our school and our church, we had all these deep relationships and we were involved at our church and involved in our school and all these things that we rarely would have, you know, an evening where something wasn't going on or a weekend that was free. And I think there was just this frenetic pace that on the one hand, we loved our life in Oakland. And on the other hand, it just felt like we were, we were almost just going to break down at any moment. And so I think, I think we were sort of primed to make a big change. And um, I mean, sorry, this is like a big tangent, but it's a relevant one. Absolutely. Going into the pandemic, we were actually, for about a year, we had been actively planning a sabbatical year. And Hmm. um, that's kind of a story in and of itself. But the short version is we were going to be in Mexico starting in July. Um, I was going to be doing actually another podcast project that never ended up happening, but it was all about U.S.-Mexico immigration. And I'd done these interviews and um, I had applied for a Fulbright. And we, we had done all of these things to prepare for that. And we're very, very close to being ready to go when COVID-19 happened. Mm -hmm. And then Nate lost his job. And so we kind of, at some point very early on, had to pull the plug on that. So in many ways, I think we we were already just shifting gears like crazy from like day one of the pandemic. And so I think by the time we got to the point where Nate decided to work on this with me and we decided to kind of go in on the all in on the podcast, we had already been letting things go, you know, just over and over and over again for months and getting more and more used to the idea that everything we thought we could count on, we actually couldn't. And we needed to maybe just, you know, as much as possible, start from scratch. So there are a couple of things I want to, before we go, go deeper, you keep dropping these incredible gems. I want to pick up on a couple of them. <laughs> Sorry, one, I know, no, 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 it's, it's beautiful. Here's what, here's, here's the thing is like, one, you, you, you said, uh, you're like, hey, you know, this is a tangent. I was like, yeah, but your freaking life for the last several months has been a tangent. Like, you know what I mean? Like what's tangent? So this whole question, like what's tangential and what's not oh, like, who, get, is, right? who the hell gets to decide that? Like, no, this is a tangent. Exactly. Someone, someone would have said, this is what I love about what you, what you've been up to is someone could look at what's going on in your life and say, this is peripheral. That's neat. But let yeah. us know when you're done with it. But right. you're saying, no, 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 no. Yeah. It could, it could absolutely look like this, but this is not, yeah. we're fully here. We're fully present yeah. in this thing that other folks might consider tangent and even part of your own psychology wants to call this tangential, but it's not. This is actually your life, yeah. the way you're living it right now. Yeah, it's true. That's that's absolutely right. Yeah, so um, I, I think you're right on about that. And I think uh, I had, after that very relevant, not tangent, <laughs> I was about <laughs> to say, <laughs> I was about to say that, um, you know, with August, our kids, our two, our two older kids anyway, were going back to school, which is to say they were not going back to school. They were distance learning. Yep. And we had sort of been limping along with trying to work, trying to be there for our kids, trying to, you know, not completely neglect them, um, getting help where we could, but mostly not having help. And with school, and uh, we're in part of the Oakland public school system, and 
Oakland Unified uh, OUSD announced in July that they would not be going back to school in person, certainly not for the first month. And we all kind of knew at that point, we're probably not going to be going back to school this year at all. Right. So, you know, we, we all went through, actually, the episode I'm working on right now is about this. And we all went through this kind of scramble. I think all of us Bay Area parents, I don't know if you did as well, but of trying to figure out how the heck are we going to survive this year? Because when you have two working parents, you know, it's not an option to just like ex- expect that your kids will be fine without you, especially when they're that young. Yeah. And yet we needed to work. You know, here we are essentially, we have a startup with this podcast. That's, you know, for lack of a better word, that's what it is. We were pitching to places. We were trying to, you know, get support from donors, you know, all of these different things, get sponsorships and working like mad to get that going and make it sustainable. And at the same time, just, you know, did not have the bandwidth to be able to also yeah. give our kids what they needed, which they basically needed somebody full time. Yeah. So uh, long story short, we were not successful in figuring out any kind of workable solution in the Bay Area. Um, not not a great one anyway. I should say we did finally, I mean, in the beginning we were like, we don't want to have to pay a tutor. We want to, you know, do a family co-op. We want to figure out how to support each other in our community. And it just, it was so incredibly complicated to pull. I mean, we did try, you know, hours and hours on the phone with other parents, but in the end, it was just not possible, um, mostly because people had different risk tolerances for COVID stuff. Um, People had different availability to help out with something like a co-op. And so in the end, there was really only one other family that said, yeah, okay, we'll pair up with you guys, but we can't help. Um, so let's just pool together our money and let's hire somebody to be with the kids. So that's yeah. what we did. Um, we sent our three-year-old back to preschool at that point because it felt totally impossible to have a three-year-old around yeah. uh, with these other two kids trying to be you know, quiet on Zoom calls. And for a week and a half, we were like, well, this isn't ideal, but you know, maybe it's good enough. And we were, you know, of course, nervous financially about spending all this money on childcare, but it just felt like, well, this is just what we have to do. Mm-hmm. So that was the first week and a half of school. And then, as any California person will know, um, that second week of school, I think it was like August 19th or something like that. Uh, it was a Wednesday and we got the news that, well, no, actually we didn't get the news. We woke up to smoky skies. That was our first indication that the wildfires had come and it was also a heat wave. So it was like a hundred degrees. You know, we all moved inside because the air quality was so bad that we couldn't, you know, the kids had been in the backyard, but now they had to be indoors. Our house is not a big house. Um, it's a little, you know, two bedroom house, little, little bungalow in Oakland and, you know, we don't have air conditioning. So it's very quickly gone from being like, well, this situation isn't ideal, but it's workable to, wow, this is pretty miserable for everybody. And it's only mid-August. If the last four years are any indication at all, the wildfires will probably not end until late October or November, basically until it rains. I mean, that, that is how it's been the last four years. Yep. So that night, we actually, for the very first time, had that conversation of, should we go? Yeah. Should we should we be somewhere else for a while? And it wasn't, even then, you know, even though life suddenly felt 
uh, even more unsustainable because of the fires and yep. the heat and you know all the COVID restrictions. It it became um, you know something that we didn't want to do, but felt like we were idiots if we didn't at least have that conversation. Yeah. Well, and I and love so the, the, really, again the the, the the shift here that that you, you again you do it sort of smoothly and it's semi unconscious, but it's like the the decision you make to say we're going to we're actually going to we're going to it's a matter of will that your circumstances are a matter of will it's a thing you decide yeah. like we could yeah. stay you even said like it's not like there weren't options on the table there were right you didn't yeah. like them so yep. again though the way we often communicate these things is like oh, there just weren't any options it's like no 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 there there yeah. were options you're not choosing them and whereas like and to embrace that is actually part of what allows you to say here's this thing here's this adventure we're going to set out on that resets our existence entirely and it's a choice we get to make that there wasn't going to be like some adventure fairy who's going to like drop off the adventure on your doorstep <laughs> you know what i mean right. there's no like uber adventure app yeah you just freaking choose it you make a decision it's a matter of will and by sheer force of will you looked around and said we don't like the options in front of us we're going to yeah. grab the this, this existential machete and start cutting yeah. our way through the forest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's right. And I think it's worth noting that when we were having that conversation, I mean, you know, Wednesday night, first day of the fires, we started talking about it. We had this big whiteboard in our living room. We were making, you know, lists of reasons to stay, lists of reasons to go. And even though it was very clear quickly that there were a lot more reasons to go at this point, which, by the way, had never been true in 16 years of living in Oakland. I mean, we had occasionally made those lists before for other reasons, and never did we even feel like, oh, yeah, we should think about going. Mm -hmm. But this time it, it was different. And even then, we just were kind of hoping, man, it, we really hope there's a way to be able to stay because we really did not want to go. I mean, we we feel that rooted in Oakland, and it's it really does feel like home. Still? And has for you know, a really long time. Yeah. I mean, I would say still. Um, so, so we, you know, all that is to say, we, we talked a lot about it. We, you know, did what we do a lot of, and we obsessed about our list. We kept <laughs> revisiting it for 48 hours and praying a lot. And we, I mean, I think our prayer was, man, if we're supposed to do this, like, God, would you just make this super clear to us? Because we don't want to go, but we will, if that's what we need to do. And so that Saturday, you know, that was Wednesday, we started the conversations by Saturday. I think, you know, each passing day, we were a little more open to leaving. And then Nate finally called his parents, which um, if we were going to go anywhere, it would be near his family, uh, mm -hmm. mostly because his mom is the only one of the grandparents who has any sort of capacity to help out with our kids. And um, she also Fun fact, homeschooled five children oh, incredibly well. <laughs> I mean, this is a woman who is like brilliant and, you know, went to school with Hillary Clinton and has an MDiv for fun. And, um, an MDiv for you know, fun. just, a, yeah, I mean, you know, she, uh, I don't know. <laughs> who does I don't that? Know you know, it sounds it great. Like what are you doing Wednesday? <laughs> I'm thinking MDiv. I'm yeah, thinking about right. a master's. I was either going to go hiking <laughs> no, or get a master's. I don't know. I can't decide. She's a firecracker. She's incredibly just a brilliant woman who um, has a ton of energy, more energy than I think I've ever had. And she's in her 70s. But anyway, we, we finally called her and asked the question of like, if we did this, 
would you be game for helping us? And, you know, we tried to be upfront about like, this would be five days a week. This is a lot to ask. And she said, yes. So even then we still had not decided to go, but literally within minutes of Nate getting off the phone, we got an email from our preschool saying that they were shutting down for two weeks because one of the teachers had COVID-19. Oh my gosh. And, uh, then, of course, our distance learning pod immediately dissolved because they didn't want to risk exposure to our three-year-old in case she, you know, had been exposed to COVID. Um, so we went overnight from having, a, you know, not a great solution, but a solution to all three kids at home. The wildfires were happening, um, you know, no, no outside support. And it just felt like the thing that we needed to kind of tip the scales. Um, and then three days later, some friends of ours said they could rent our house. So it it happened incredibly fast. And two weeks after that first conversation, we were driving away from Oakland and setting across the country. So that is how we came to be here now. <laughs> so you said a thing a minute ago about, um, you used the word success. Um, and I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about um, what that word, like, how are you applying that word to your life now? The, the, the metrics the, that we function with, with regards to, with regards to success for a lot of us, have sort of fallen away. Like, it, like this is what success used to be, yeah. is, you know, these kinds of numbers, this kind of longevity. Um, it, it, I'd love to hear you talk about, like, how are you marking success and that doesn't have to just be about the podcast but like i'd love yeah. i'd love for you to at least start there is is yeah. you set out you're like hey i'm doing this project i'm gonna do this podcast daily potentially podcast which isn't daily now you can talk about that like i'm making that decision mm -hmm. later on but like yeah i'm gonna start this podcast this daily podcast and then the you know <laughs> COVID 19 fires like rising prices of all things like the the world comes after you and says and squeezes yeah. you out of the life you're trying to live you make this decision to like revamp and not just kind of white knuckle it and fight through which let's just be honest most people are trying to do right now yeah it's like most most folks are honestly honest to god trying to like just hold on really tight to yeah. what they have hoping to god it either comes back or lasts which it probably won't yeah. anyways Instead of doing that, you make the decision to let go, okay, bye, and reinvent. Well, so along with letting go of those things, like our metrics, your metrics for like what is, what is, what does successful parenting look like? What is, what is, what does a successful career look like? How are you measuring success over the course of the last, what are we, like eight months now? Like what success look yeah, like for you with the are, podcast, yeah. with parenting, but start with yeah. the podcast. Are you, do you feel like you're successful with the podcast? And if so, how? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, it's such a good question. And there's so much there. Um, I think I should say first, I'm 41. I think being in my 40s, I view this so differently than I did even five years ago. Hmm. But I've spent most of my life as a fiction writer. Um, that's what, you know, that was my training. I got my MFA in fiction. That's why we actually moved to Oakland in the first place back in 2004. And so I've been in that world for a long time. And in that world, it's pretty intense. I mean, you, you know, it's incredibly cutthroat. There are so many good people that you're up against all the time. 
Um, you know, even getting an agent is tough and then yeah. getting a book deal, even once you have an agent can be tough. Yes. And I'm, I do literary fiction, which is just like the worst, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I love literary fiction, but it's the, the worst, worst to get into because there just aren't many spots at the table these uh, days, yes, you know, because of what's happened with publishing. And, you know, we, we now have fewer books being published, especially in literary fiction, you know, we could have a whole separate conversation about that. But, um, you know, I have I have had some I, I don't I still don't have a book published. You know, after right. all these years, I have short stories published. I have essays published. I've even won some big awards. I mean, some awards that I could, you know, objectively say, OK, I, I was a Fulbright scholar in creative writing. I won a big uh, the Poets and Writers magazine has a big award called the California Exchange Award. And it's this crazy award where they fly you to New York for a week and wine and dine you and introduce you to all of these very influential people in the publishing world. You know, people like the New Yorker editor. You know, I got to sit in her office and have a meeting with her. It was an amazing award. And yet, I think I did not feel like a success most hmm. of the time. Why? Because I didn't have a book deal. You know, and that oh, wow. was the thing, right? That was the thing I was all, and I had novels that I got really close with, um, you know, agents who would tell me they loved it, but it, you know, they weren't the right one for it and they believed in the work, but they weren't the right one for it. You know, I have right. just dozens of these letters over the years and I, I, you know, and I stand by the work that I did. I, I think I've, in some ways, I'm glad that I didn't get a book deal way back then because I think I've become a much, much better writer in that time. And I do think, you know, the fiction I'm writing now is much better than what I wrote 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And I still have hope that that'll happen, you know, even in today's publishing climate. But I think something that the podcast has shown me about success is that, you know, even when I had short stories published or awards that I had won, things that, um, you know, were out there for the world to read. Most of the people in my life had never read anything I'd written. I mean, other than emails, right? <laughs> um, and even at that, let's read, be, and even at that, let's be honest about the emails. That, right? you <laughs> Did you know, get my email? I do know I lost. I don't know what right? happened. I Maybe it got lost in the ether. You didn't read it, did you? I don't know what happened. <laughs> I'm not sure. Did you? No, when did you I, send it? Is it from so a different email? You didn't read it, did you? <laughs> no, email emails tough. But uh, you know, I I think it was. It always felt a little bit lonely to be a fiction writer, and yes. you know, fiction will always be my first love. I'm never going to stop writing it. But because most of the people that I loved and cherished in my life didn't even know that part of me. And yeah. I get it, right? You know, we're all busy. We all had different things we like to read. Um, you can't keep up with everything. But there was something about pouring my heart and soul into this work and just having it completely not connect to anything else in my life. Um, and, and I think that's been really something I didn't expect with the podcast, but that I've loved is that all of a sudden I have this way to put work out there. And yeah, it's, you know, I mean, I've done a little bit of fiction in the podcast, but mostly it's memoir and some interviews and, you know, kind of uh, day in the life kind of stuff. But it has given me a way to put my writing out there in a more public way. Mm. And, you know, I don't have to get a book deal before it can happen. I can nope. just, you know, edit my audio and push publish and it's out there. And um, I, there's something really fun about being able to not only put the work out there for people to hear it, 
but there's a sense of completion. It's like you finish yes. that episode and you yeah. push publish and that's it. And then you're on to the next one. And you well, know, how beautiful versus, that is like to, to the, instead of waiting for the great. gatekeepers, it's this, and it's the same right. kind of, um, how should I say? It's the same kind of power move, right? Is like here. And this is yeah. why I was asking you about your metrics for success is because, um, the entirety of what you've decided to do, um, since March could be viewed as compromise by someone sure. else that yeah. what success is, is like, Hey, look, you had a house in the Bay freaking area. You were living in the San Francisco Bay area. You, you owned shit in the San Francisco Bay area. You live there. You were paying, you're paying for life. Like you've, you've, you've arrived. Hold on to yeah, that. We got in before it was impossible. Absolutely. Right. But then, but then you let go of that and you're like, well, okay, we're shifting now. And in the same yeah. way, like, and I talk, I talk to my, my clients about this stuff all the time is like, you know, well, I'm not published. I'm like, well, did you share something in your blog or Facebook? Oh, yeah. Okay, then you're published. And you get to yeah, decide absolutely. that. You're a published yeah. You're a published author. And we did, you were just saying, like, I didn't have the book deal. It's like, yeah, but that's crazy sauce. You, you know, you could write something right now, yeah. push, it, push it to Facebook, and yeah. have a wider audience than 90% of the books that have ever been published will ever see. Right, right. Because what's the average book sell like? A hundred copies or something like that. I mean, it's something along those lines. Like the I, I average, know, the, sure. the average album when we were still making CDs sold less than two hundred copies. Wow. Whereas yeah. nowadays, like you can be a seventeen-year-old, sixteen-year-old, fourteen-year-old kid, like put together a song, upload it to SoundCloud, and have two thousand people listen to it before the end of the day. Like, that's amazing. Shift your metric. Like, what, what, what is success? I don't know. What do you want it to be? Like, you get yeah. to decide what success is for your life and for your career. With the podcast, tell me a little bit about like things you know now about um, relationships mm -hmm. that you didn't know before. Because a lot of what you're doing with your interviews uh, is you're not digging, it's not like it's not like a romance thing, but you really are like digging into like, look what connects people to one another. Yeah. And and look, not just like why these things matter in the kind of the broad macro sort of like relationships matter, go make friends, but specifically <laughs> digging into people's particular situations, particular stories and particular histories and about yeah. their connections with, uh, commu you, know, well, you use the word community a lot, with communities, mm -hmm. with tribes, yeah. with family. Yeah. What are some things you know now about relationships and about the human desire and need for relationships that you didn't know before you started this? Are there a few things? I think there are. I mean, I think I have to think about it and answer that because I, I don't know that they're new since the podcast. I think I've just kind of they've come to light in a new way since oh, the podcast. I, I've, I've thought a lot about this and I think actually weirdly or maybe not weirdly being a fiction writer has in some ways set me up really well for podcasting because in literary fiction you're always thinking about story you're always thinking about characters mm -hmm. you're always thinking about you know what creates tension and what resolves tension and what's what makes for an interesting read you know how do you pull people along from one page to the next right. and not just have it be a page turner but have you know, real substance. And, and usually with literary fiction, that means characters. And, you know, not all, but a lot of liter great literary fiction is more character driven than it is plot driven, you know, and it can be both, of course. But I think 
it, it took me a little bit to realize that's what I was doing. And of course I had, you know, if you listen from the beginning of season one, you can hear my learning curve. It's yes. very, because I'm doing it daily. It's mm-hmm. like, you can just watch me learn to be a podcaster and <laughs> learn to edit audio and all of that. Um, and I'm, I'm very grateful to have learned all that, but I think especially when it came to interviewing, um, I did not set out to do this, but I had a hundred episodes plus bonus episodes in season one and 50 of those were interviews. So it was just a ton of interviews to be doing in a four month period. And I talked to some absolutely amazing people. I mean, just wonderful, wonderful people who I feel like it was a gift to get to, you know, spend an hour with or however long we talked. And I think what always interested me in those conversations the most was, you know, kind of what makes them tick. What it, What is the thing that's most important to them right now yeah and somewhere or another we would always get to that question and you know we had conversations about all different kinds of things but i would i would always try to ask people about i mean in my interview with you last week i asked you you know what's your greatest hope and fear and that that's a question i don't always ask people the same questions but that is one question that i try to ask everyone because i think we are in this moment in history where there's a lot to be afraid of. Yes. But I think we have to be searching for for reasons to be hopeful. And and once you get at that, if you know, if you do have a reason that you hope right now, it says a lot about who you are as a person. And mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not going looking for a specific answer. I, I think it's fascinating how many different answers I get to those questions. Hmm. But I do think it reveals a lot about what's important to us in this world and and what we hold on to when you know the bottom kind of drops out underneath us yes so um you know that's a that's a long way of saying that i think that uh desire to portray complex um nuanced characters in fiction it's it's the same thing i bring to my interview conversations and and i think also kindness i had um, a wonderful teacher you and lee who she said this thing that I'll always remember. She said, you know, you, you even your characters who are kind of like bad, you know, bad characters or, you know, the enemy or whatever in the story, you need to treat them with kindness. And I have always tried to do that, you know, to give, to not vilify anybody. I'm not interested in making anyone look stupid or, um, you know, wrong about their beliefs or anything. I just, I really want to show people in the beauty of their full humanity and, and so I try to approach my interviews with just a lot of kindness, the same way that I would my characters. That's good. Um, you have to end up, you, you don't have to end up, you, you spend some time, um, I mean, you push stuff to, you, you know, you push stuff to the internet. You don't spend a whole lot of time on traditional social media platforms. Um, yeah, like, I, I'm trying. <laughs> it's a weak spot. <laughs> yeah, well, and so is that a, let's talk about your, like the, the conscious decision process there where um it is a place insofar as like there's general disconnect you know socio uh, sociologically tribally you know we can't it's part of what part of what fell apart for you was like you couldn't see some people um and uh you know with the internet theoretically facebook twitter instagram snapchat makes those things easier in some ways right mm-hmm. to stay connected 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 yeah can you talk about your process and your thought process specifically behind, yeah, like what's been your experience of online relationships? Is it, is, are you, 
You're a fan, you're not a fan. You're a fan, you're not great at it. You're not great at it, you don't wanna be. Like talk about like being online and in a relationship with people. Is it satisfying, it's dissatisfying, you're scared of it, it yeah. should be scary. Like where are you in that camp? And the reason I ask is because part of what this, part of what the COVID season has, um, has drawn out is a pretty serious conversation about what it is, uh, how should I say this? But what we mean by relationship, right? Is yeah, like, right. does it count? Does being connected on Instagram count? And if so, how do we count it? Does like you have these friends, unquote, you know, quote unquote friends? Yeah. Are they friends? How like is there real intimacy over Instagram, or is it all fake, et cetera? Like, this is I would suggest like a vital human conversation. I don't think this is one of those peripheral yeah. things. I think this is one of the conversations that like. 25, 30 years from now, those of us who have actually invested consciously in the conversation about like what, is, what does it mean to have relationships online will be far better off than those who feel like this is some peripheral crap that's gonna eventually go away. Yeah. So talk about your experience of life online, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, yeah. et cetera, and like where you're at now in terms of your comfort level and in terms of like your mm -hmm. desires, your interests, your experience, what, what's, what's it look like for you? Well, I should say, first of all, I'm trying to get better at it. Um, I mean, you know, we try to at least post something daily on Instagram with the shelter in place um, handle, which is shelter in place podcast, if anybody wants to follow us. Um, and so, you know, that has been something I've been trying to up my game since starting this podcast. Um, but I'm terrible at it. I, I'm, I mean, I think I'm getting a little better, but I think I've never been somebody who's great at social media. And I don't love it. Um, I think it maybe has something. To, it's not. I don't have a problem with it categorically. I I'm not one of these people who thinks it shouldn't exist. I do think there are some really wonderful things about social media, and I've found people, um, you know, through Instagram connections or Facebook connections. I mean, it's how uh, on on our trip across the country we took three and a half weeks to make that drive and. Uh, we, you know, one of those stops was reaching out to my college roommate who I hadn't seen in 17 years. I mean, yeah. I think the last time I saw her was at my wedding and this was somebody who was my best friend in college and was dear to me. And, you know, we'd had a few phone conversations, but she has a bunch of kids. I have three kids. You know, we, we both lived in different parts of the country. It just, we fell out of contact as a lot of people do. And it was such a gift to be able to reach out to her. Hmm. And, you know, I found her through Facebook. And so that that to me is wonderful. That's like social media at its best, right? Is we actually get to keep those connections, even if we're in and out of each other's lives for years at a time. But I think what I've found for myself personally, and I think some people do this better, but I don't like being the person who has my phone on me constantly. I think even before COVID, I mean, maybe especially before COVID, it was kind of a pet peeve when I'd be, you know, say having coffee with a friend and their phone is right in front of them and they keep, you know, jumping and looking at their phone every two minutes. I mean, it just really breaks down that in-person interaction when you have somebody who's only giving you partial attention all the time. And I try yeah. to not be that person who's giving the people around me partial attention. I mean, I'm, I'm not by any means perfect at it. I, you know, just like everybody else, I do have my times where I'm staring at my phone and I should be with my kids and really, you know, 
fully giving them yeah. my attention and being present. But um, but I do in general try to be present with the people that I am actually in the same room with. And I think one interesting thing about COVID is that, of course, I'm not in the same room with people the way that I used to be. I mean, we used to do a lot of hosting and a lot of, you know, we loved having friends over for dinner or having parties in our backyard or, you know, all, all sorts of ways of getting physically together. We're not doing that now. Hmm. But I think what's interesting is I, I call people a lot more. Hmm. And I mean, I think for years, I almost never picked up and called anyone on the phone. And over the last, you know, eight months, whatever it's been, I'm finding a lot more phone conversations and also stuff like Marco Polo and Boxer. I really have appreciated those ways of being able to leave messages for people that aren't just, you know, a line on Instagram. Yes. And again, nothing wrong with Instagram. I think it serves a purpose, but I think most of us, if we're honest, when we get on those platforms, we kind of just feel bad about ourselves hmm. pretty quickly because somebody else's life is looking better than ours. And, um, and again, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm somebody who, um, that like deeply affects me, but I am aware that there is some effect there happening when I'm on those platforms. And so I try to not let it suck up hours of my life. You know, I try to get on a little bit each day, put something up there, you know, about the latest episode or a picture or whatever. Yeah. And enough to kind of remind people that I'm alive. <laughs> and that The <laughs> podcast is alive. Still here. Uh, but I tried it, but you know, honestly, there's just, there's too much else around me in my daily life that demands my attention for me to feel good about spending that much more time on it. And again, no judgment for people who really enjoy that. I just, I think for me, I would rather be physically present with somebody in the same room or, or even over the phone. Yeah. I usually ask um, my guests, um, particularly my thoughtful guests like yourself, about the future and this uh, and the framework for the qu this question. I think it's probably it's helpful to kind of restate the story every once in a while too. But I think you'd appreciate it. is when I, when I got um, when I got started doing um, music stuff. So my like public persona career thing started with music, with rock and roll, and I was yeah. Um, I was similar-ish thing where like I had a decision to make and it was literally just a matter of sheer will. Like the, the math didn't add up, but the opportunity was there and I had to make a decision. So yep. I was, yep. um, you know, single guy living with a few other single guys in this guy's house named Frank. Frank ran a, he ran a record label and I was just playing songs, similar thing. I was like, I just picked up the guitar and was playing songs. It was a small little thing. It was like, ah, we'll see how this, what happens. It was like, I would write songs just to process my life because uh, it was a way emotionally for me to connect. It was a way for me to like have some kind of emotional control over what was going on in my own head. And um, but I was, you know, I was making my money as uh, I was doing, you know, youth work and teaching. You know, raking in mad sums of cash with, you know, working with kids. <laughs> I know. They make great money. Killing it. <laughs> public education. So uh, and Frank oh. came to me one night and he's like, "Hey, have you?" I mean, you know, have you ever thought about playing music like for a living? And I said, no, you know, the, you think the songs are good. And he says, no, the songs aren't good, but I like you. And I was like, okay, what? <laughs> and then little months later, and I don't remember all of this stuff, not, and, and but, you know, the, I, I took some headers. I took a, a couple of shots. I was like, well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. So little months later, I'm in Nashville, Tennessee at this 
showcase for artists and Frank gets on a stage in front of like 200 industry persons. And he says, this is Justin McRoberts. And you know, you've, you've seen some of these things, you know, like you go to these showcases and like the, whether it's the label head or the, you know, or, or the publisher, the like, here's our new, the, the new book and it's going to change everything and nothing will be the right. same. Right? right. And everyone's doing that, right? This is, this is so-and-so and they're great and they're fantastic and they're better than fantastic. They're going to rearrange what you think about the word fantastic. They're going to be so great that the word great won't work anymore and that kind of thing. And Frank gets up and he says, this is Justin McRoberts and he's the artist we'll be focusing on this year. And I'll be honest, he's not that great right now. <laughs> it was like how he started the thing off. And I'm standing behind him holding my guitar. Nice. You're and, like, oh, confidence booster. Awesome. It was great. Thanks. He did, you know, I, I kind of expect you know, things like this. For Frank. But then he said, uh, but I, I expect that most of the bands that you would have seen this morning probably won't be playing music two to three years from now. I think Justin mm-hmm. will be making music 15 years from now, and I think it'll be great, so I'm making a long-term investment. You can either make it with me or not, and then walked off the stage. Fantastic. Right? And, I mean, it was yeah. one of those things where it's like, uh, in, in the moment, it's kind of like a little bit deflating, but it just, it, it just reset my expectations so that when things yeah. went well, I was like, great, things are great now, mm-hmm. and, but it wasn't everything. And then when things did not go well, I was like, okay, this sucks. But this isn't everything. So I know yeah. that's the context of the question is like, what does your life and work look like 15 years from now? What I'm wondering, though, is does the future even hold place in your heart, your mind right now? Is, is it not even that you're just living day to day per se, but like how much space does 15 years from now even take up for you in your soul? Yeah, it's such a good question. And, you know, I think in my 20s, especially, I was that person who had the 10 year plan and the five year plan and the 20 year plan. And I think at some point I had to put them aside because life was not rolling out the way that I planned. I, you know, part of that was realizing that I was planning things that were completely out of my control in most cases. But I think at this point, it's, it's not that I don't think about the future at all. I definitely do, but I think I care a lot more about relationships and and that doesn't mean that I mean I'm not excluding that from my work. I I think one of my um kind of great areas of growth as a person, you know, in general, but as a mom has been realizing I'm never going to be that mom who is satisfied just being with my kids and that's not a diss on them it's just you know i think some people have that gift and then i think there are others of us who we need something more to sustain us in the day-to-day and i have found you know whether it's writing fiction or doing a podcast or something else i found my art to be that thing and so learning how to bring those two things together has been incredibly important, not just for me as an artist, but for me as a mom, because Mm -hmm. I don't want to neglect my kids and I want them to know that they are precious to me. But also, you know, if I, you know, to be quite frank, if, if I stop writing and all I'm doing is being a parent, I'm pretty depressed pretty quickly. Mm, And I, I spent some time, you know, probably a handful of years fighting that and, and feeling really guilty about that because I could look around and I could see stay-at-home mom friends that I knew who were just killing it and they, you know, were so awesome with their kids and so fulfilled. And I just have had to realize, like, that is not 
who I am and that's okay. You know, there are different kinds of parents and it doesn't mean that I'm a bad parent, but I do need to figure out how can I incorporate my art into my parenting and vice versa. And I think the more I've learned to integrate those two things, you know, kind of the better it's been for everybody. Um, and so I think when I think about 15 years from now, honestly, my greatest hope is that whether it's a podcast or writing books or something else, that I'm still doing this, but that more than that, even that I have a great relationship with my kids. I mean, my kids will be teenagers by then. Um, you know, Lord willing, maybe one or two of them will have left the house. <laughs> Although these days, who knows? <laughs> so, you know, I, I think thinking about how can I live my life now mm. to set us up for that to be true in the future. And, mm. you know, I am the first person to say I fail at this almost every day. Yeah. Same. Maybe every day. Yeah. It is the hardest, <laughs> the hardest creative challenge of my life Good. is to figure be. out how to just be the parent that I want to be to them. And, and also to figure out like, how can I be somebody who is, who is content and who mm. isn't always feeling, um, you know, discouraged by things not going quite the way that I want them to. So I, really I think, good. yeah, I mean, there's, there's probably more that could be said there, but I think that's the main thing. That's really good. Well, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank huge you. Huge fan so of a huge fan of the journey, um, the process, the the podcast. Um, you know the the context of this you know series of interviews is entirely about the, you know making what we can from what we have yeah. on hand and exactly. the witness you are bearing to those who are paying attention to you is uh, I think it's enriching I think it's challenging uh, and I think you do it in a really um, helpful posture that you don't and I think you're gonna, I, I I think you'll take this as a compliment you don't come off like expert hasn't nailed. Um, pay attention to me because I'm on the mountaintop of this thing. You really right. do present like, I'm working through this and the confidence I have is that this will work through if I put the work in, which is such yeah. a better posture, uh, I would suggest in general, but specifically right now. We just don't need a whole lot of experts right now. We need a whole lot no. of you. We need a whole lot of folks who are saying, <laughs> I don't know what the hell either, but I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna put a foot in front of this foot and then I'm gonna do that again. Yeah. And I'm going to keep doing that Thank until you. there's an obstacle. And then I'm going to figure that obstacle out. And if I can work around it, then I'm going to do that. Um, so uh, what you're up to is redemptive and challenging and very, very, very helpful for the season we're in right now. And I can only imagine we'll continue to be so. So thanks for doing it. Thank you, Justin. That means a lot. And thank you for joining me for this episode of the Etsy podcast. If you'd like to follow up with my guest, Laura Joyce Davis, you can jump to shelterinplacepodcast.info, not .com or .net, .info, shelterinplacepodcast, all one word, .info. And from there, you can jump to all the episodes of the podcast, as well as the About Me page that gives a great background about this podcast, its history, and the people involved with it. If you would like to be part of the team of people who make this podcast happen, the Etsy podcast with me, then go to patreon.com slash Justin McRoberts. We would love to have you on the team. Until next time.